This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, yesterday we did the case for Dustin Poirier, so today we're going to do the case for Dan Hooker. Speaking of which, the man himself joins us. You'll hear that interview, and we talked to Chaz Skelly, who's in the news for all kinds of crazy, interesting reasons, but he's also going to give us some betting and predictions for the UFC fight card this weekend. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time, right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Uh, happy Thursday to everyone. We are almost here at the weekend. I don't know what that means for your part of the country. I have to tell you, you know, about a, well, about a month ago, like three weeks ago, you know, when places were opening up, and uh, I guess this is like just before the protests had started, something like that, and, you know, the case counts are going down every day for COVID, and deaths are going down, and hospitalizations are going down. I'm like, you know what? Maybe we got this thing under control. Like, you know, I don't know. We'll see how this goes, right? Because even what I'm about to tell you now, I don't know. Like, this is just so unpredictable. But uh, (laughs) I don't know if everyone saw. Yesterday, we had more case counts of positive infections of COVID than we had at any point in the month of March or April. I was like, oh, God. So people are, places are reopening. D.C. is in phase two. I don't know if I'm ready to go out just yet. The gyms are open. I have not gone. I'm going to wait and see how this whole thing plays out because then, you know, people are saying, oh, the protests didn't contribute. I'm like, mm, I'm going to wait and see about that. I am not convinced that that is true. I know people want that to be true in their minds, and maybe it is. Again, who the hell knows, but. I'm going to wait a couple more weeks to see exactly what comes from what. Now, the good news is, and I'll move on from this because nobody cares, but the good news is that the death count is uh, substantially lower than it was in April, even despite the high case count, because, hey, looks like younger people are getting it and maybe our treatment is better. So all I'm saying is we're getting close to the weekend. Be careful. That's all I'm saying. I think I think that's a universal message everybody can get behind, right? I hope so. Okay. Yesterday on the show, I gave you the case for... Dustin Poirier. And we'll do predictions tomorrow. And Chaskelly is going to be here in about 40 minutes or so to give us all of this and then some, right? Some analysis and maybe some betting previews as well. We'll see how things go. But for the time being, like, what is Dan Hooker's best chance to win? Well, again, partly it's going to depend on what exactly kind of game plan that Dustin Poirier incorporates because I tend to think he's going to be not like a crazy march you down type, but not, not that exactly but that he's going to pressure into you and pressure you backwards and kind of force his way into, A, getting him close enough that you're in his boxing range, and two, to get you on the back foot, right, so that the distance between you is narrowed and then the distance of your back to the cage is narrowed. So the two different distances there. I tend to think that's what he's going to do. It's, it's often what he does, and then the idea that I mean, Hooker can trade shots, excuse me, with Poirier, I think, to an extent. Uh, One thing I had said this, I said this on Submission Radio, which is an Australian program, shouts to those boys, is, you know, it's amazing. Poirier and Hooker did not necessarily have the best chins at 145, but at 155, those guys have, I mean, they've been through the ringer. 
Now you got the Michael Johnson KO uh, for Dustin. Okay, fair enough. But in general, I mean, he, the dude went three plus, nearly four rounds with Justin Gaethje, you know, and every every other elite fighter he could at 155. He's looked pretty damn good with his chin and Hooker too, man. Edson Barboza was all over him and he took everything he could handle. And even then, he just kind of folded, I think, off of a body shot in the end. So these guys have tremendous ability to take a punishment, to take punishment, excuse me. But I would still kind of say the idea of Hooker walking him down doesn't, it feels off to me. One never knows, especially if, if Poirier gets hurt and then walking him down seems a little bit more likely. But it seems to me if you're Hooker, your best chance to win is going to be two things. One, that fight is going to have to be conducted predominantly, although not exclusively, at his kickboxing range. <clears throat> excuse me. And two, he's going to have to be on his horse because what, what Dustin is going to want to do is he's going to be the one to want to set the angles. And I suspect he might counter fight on occasion. I suspect what he will more likely be doing is initiating offense. We'll see about that. Barboza was a counter fighter and had a lot of success against Hooker. But Barboza is a different fighter, too. He's, got, he's so fast and he's so explosive, he can get away with that. If you're asking me who the two of the two fighters here, who is quicker, I'm going to say Hooker. So to me, if we're going to give the case for Hooker here, you got to work with what you do well. One, at kickboxing range, he's got a lot more options, and he can stay safer and away from Dustin's power. He can go to the calf kick and he can get out of there. He can uh, he can even punch a little bit uh, because he'll have a three-inch reach advantage. But it just like, gives him a little bit more diversity in his striking arsenal, which is where he succeeds. It gives him a little bit of a extra space if he wants to move it into his boxing range. It just gives him a little bit of real estate to play with. And distance management has been something that traditionally he's been pretty good at since he moved to 155. So to me, that seems pretty essential. Number two, use the gift that you have over Dustin Poirier, speed, speed. He is much quicker. Dustin succeeds because he's not exactly slow or something, but he has, as I mentioned yesterday, superb timing. If you've got superb timing, you don't actually need all the speed in the world. People always talk about Mayweather being fast. Mayweather is fast. It's true. But what he really has, and I'm not saying Dustin's on par with prime Mayweather, but I'm just sort of pointing out, Mayweather is quick, but what Mayweather really has beyond just his natural athletic gifts, and people don't ever want to admit this about Floyd because they hate him, but it's really true. Floyd is brilliant, and he has absolutely some of the most impeccable timing I've ever seen from a striking combative athlete. He has otherworldly levels of timing. Okay, and so it makes it look like he's just quick because... He's surprising not merely his opponents, but you at home. He's catching them on all of these little microscopic rest moments, right? Just a little bit of a break in the action, the tiniest of windows, and he launches a huge attack in that space. And so it's, it, it just it seems so fast, but he's not Zab Judah. Zab Judah was faster, like in terms of just pure raw speed. So of these two, Hooker to me is going to be quicker. So keeping that range... It's going to have to be lateral movement, right? It's going to have to be um, uh, speed. And it also tells me that I'm going to wait to see. I think Hooker should be going first a lot. Because as I mentioned, if you part, part of being a counterfighter is going to be timing. 
part of it is going to be speed, right? And so Dustin has the timing, but Dustin in that southpaw stance, I think is going to be really wanting to set the angles, right? Setting up the attacks and then building from it. If you're Dan Hooker, you got to be disrupting that. You got to be kicking the legs out from under him, which I think is going to be a big deal because if you can do that, well, then it's going to create more problems for Dustin to sit behind the jab, to to really to, to sit on any of his punches for that matter. It's going to make it really, really difficult for him if you can tear into that leg. And he doesn't check a lot of leg kicks. He does a little bit, but not a whole lot. Because if there's one problem for Dan, and we saw this in the end of the third and especially the fourth and fifth rounds against Paul Felder, he got tired a little bit. Because if you just look at his style, man, it's labor-intensive. I'm not saying it's labor-intensive like Khabib Nurmagomedov's, but it's a little bit on the labor-intensive side. And as a consequence... You know, all that movement, all that motion, throwing with the leg and then sticking and moving and sticking and moving. Dude, that's a hard way to fight for five rounds. I got to tell you, if it was a three-round fight, I would think that Hooker's chances are much better. Five, it's just a, it's just a much more difficult task. So one thing we've seen is that he kind of slows down and then begins to accommodate the range of his opponents. You can't have that happen here. You got to be judicious with your attacks in the first three rounds so they don't drop off a cliff in the fourth and the fifth because Dustin's not going to gas. We've seen his experience in these levels. And if he can get into his range and start setting the angles and now you're reacting to him, that's going to be bad. So it's going to be about maintaining kickboxing range, lateral movement. And I think the other, the third key here, my Al Bernstein key, it's going to be going first. Going first, not like crazy, not blitzkrieging, but just enough where you are forcing Poirier to follow you and you are forcing him to reset and then in between you're landing on him I think that's sort of what I'm looking for here a little bit and I think Dan can pull that off is that the likeliest outcome I don't know the last thing I'd say by the way watch out for the guillotine of Dustin Poirier because we know that's very good he tends to jump guillotine sometimes so watch out for that and the other thing I would say I'd watch out for is it in, in in Hooker's favor if Dustin tries to get desperate and then jab or attack from long range hooker has tremendous tremendous responses uh knees up the middle uppercuts all kinds of stuff that would be bad too so be on the lookout for that all right speaking of dan hooker he's going to join us here we will do that after the break this week on world of basketball four-time euroleague champion kyle hines joins the show and talks thoughtfully about the racial injustice in America. It's great to see the change. It's something that is much needed. I think because of everything that has kind of going on in 2020 and because of the, the coronavirus where a lot of people are kind of sitting at home and are able to kind of pay attention more. And because there's no sports, you know, people are, are able to kind of focus their attention on some one thing. To see, you know, Champions League football, you know, where Black Lives Matter, to see protests in, in, in Asia and in, in Australia, to me, that's kind of been the, the most remarkable Thing. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the Sirius XM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. It is the one and only hangman himself, Dan Hooker. Hi, Dan. How's Las Vegas? Uh, hot. <laughs> is it New uh, Zealand? But, in a, it's winter, right? Yep. No, we're in winter now, so pretty cold out there, pretty wet, pretty cold, so it's, it's good to good to catch some heat it's a bit of a break is it weird going from a country that has covid basically totally under control to one where it's burning out of control on the on the other side of the earth 
It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely um, an interesting experience. Uh, international travel at this time was pretty funny, especially in New Zealand, because we've kind of gone completely back to normal. Gyms are open, back to normal. Everyone's shaking hands and, and kissing and hugging. So it's, um, yeah, to come here and everyone's got their masks on and keeping their distance is a bit strange. Did you have to wear a mask on the flight? Yeah, so um, we did. We didn't um, leaving New Zealand because obviously no one um, has it in New Zealand. But then it was um, when we landed in LAX. It was kind of it was kind of strange because everyone was putting their masks on and gloves on. It was kind of everyone getting prepared um, prepared for battle. So that was definitely interesting. You're looking around, everyone's strapping up. Do you have to quarantine when you go home? Yes, yeah, so I face a, um, a 14-day, me and my team face a 14-day quarantine when we arrive back in New Zealand. So we arrive back in New Zealand. Um, they're going to just chuck us on a bus and take us um, take us to a, a well, it's government facility, but it's a pretty much a hotel that they've, they've just shut down um, and, and specifically for people arriving back in New Zealand. And we just stay there for 14 days. Uh, that I gotta tell you, that doesn't sound like the most fun. I mean, have you heard like what like can you, you can you have visitors there or like how does that work? Um, well, it depends where you are because some of the facilities aren't even in um, the city that I live in. So some of the facilities are uh, in in the South Island, which is a completely different island. So I'm just hopefully that I don't get sent down there. But people can um, come and visit you if you are in Auckland, but they have to stand. So there's like a like a ten foot gate, and they have to stand on the other side of the gate, and they can come and you can yell at each other, I guess. <laughs> well, bless you for being willing to not only come to America to fight for entertainment, but then to uh, quarantine <laughs> yourself on the way home. We all, I can tell you, we all really appreciate it as fight fans. Um, let's get into it if we can. Dan Hooker joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show, taking on Dustin Poirier. Boy, I mean, every fight, of course, you talk to a fighter, they say this is the biggest one, this is the biggest one. And I realize that this is not in New Zealand. This is not uh, in front of a home crowd. It doesn't have necessarily the, some of the same ingredients that the Felder fight has. But geez, Dan, this is a this has got to be the biggest fight of your career, which means the biggest stakes. No. The biggest stakes, definitely, but comparing like pressure to pressure is um, like pressure on the last fight compared with this. It's um, it's going to be very strange. That's like ten thousand people who you who you know. That's ten thousand people from your home city. Um, like I, I was really not ready to lose that one. That that's something that you you could never live down. Um, losing in front of ten thousand of your hometown fans, and then coming here. Uh, and there being no crowd, so it's it's going to be interesting because I, I always tend to do um, better under pressure. So um, uh, yeah, it's going to be a strange balance this fight. Uh, in terms of opposition, you know, it, people tend to oversimplify things, right? They're like, oh, Felder's a striker and Poirier's a striker, but geez, they seem to be radically different kinds of strikers. When you look back on your career, is there anyone you believe is even similar-ish to Poirier? Um, like looking back at my career, I don't think any two opponents are truly similar. Like everyone is, you know, mixed martial arts is so diverse that so many people, um, yeah, it's hard to match them up. 
So I, I would say no. I would say I've never faced, but I wouldn't necessarily class Dustin Poirier as a as a striker. He spent um, a majority of his professional MMA career um, as a as a you know using implementing a, a wrestling game plan in some in some way or another. So yeah, I wouldn't necessarily class him as a striker. Still, uh, I mean, when he goes to the ground, a lot of times, well, the Khabib fight, let me put that to the side because that's fairly unique. But, you know, most of the time it's when he jumps guillotine. Like, he doesn't exactly, it's not, I don't, th- I don't think it's his first priority, right? Would that be a fair characterization? Not his first priority, but he, he, he at some stage or another will definitely um, look to wrestle. If you, if you look at some, you know, when he, when he starts to get uncomfortable on the feet, um, the Pettis fight or the Joe Duffy fight, you know, he he will he will at some point look to wrestle. Fair enough. Um, when so let let's just pitch it back to you then. When you sort of size up what you're up against, what do you see? Oh, I see a very well-rounded fighter. Um, good wrestling, good you know mixes in his takedowns. Well, very strong boxing game. And just the experience, I think, would be his biggest threat. The experience in, in five-round fights, the experience in the main event position, which um, definitely needs to be respected. Uh, you know, what, what would you say you took away from the Felder fight in terms of that five-round experience, right? Because just sort of a layman's perspective, you know, first three rounds, however one wants to score them, they took place at a f- bit of a wider range. And then fourth and the fifth, y'all were kind of trading with the hands a lot more. It's just, it's harder to fight that way, I'm guessing. So is it like, did you take away a certain level of prep has to go into this? What, what did you take out of it? Oh, just your energy expenditure. Um and and managing that different from a three round fight, like I kind of went into that uh, and approach that as a three rounder, and then got the last two out, which is um, obviously not the best way to approach that. So I'm I'm just gonna approach it a little um, different in terms of my energy expenditure. In terms of where it puts you in the division, people have asked me like, "Oh, what happens to the winner of this fight?" And I'm like, "Well." It's definitely great. I just don't know exactly how to answer that because you got Connor. Who, I, I don't know what's happening with him. Your guess is certainly as good as mine. Tony's still sitting up there. Obviously, Justin's going to fight Khabib. Okay. I'm guessing the winner of this fight is somewhere in that space. How do you see the winner of this being positioned at or near the top of this division? Yeah, well, I, I see him being positioned next in line for the title shot. You know, Gagey versus Khabib is already set, and, and there's no clear contender um, after that. So the winner of this fight sets himself up as the guy that will get called in. Should should someone get injured, um, Gagey or Khabib falls out. You know, this is combat sports, nothing set in stone. Um, the winner of this fight definitely sets himself up as the guy that's going to slide in and take that position. Were you surprised by Justin's success in the Tony Ferguson fight? No, no, I wasn't surprised. Like it was a pretty, yeah, it was a pretty, you know, I didn't feel like Tony was, was that on that night, but he just did some, you know, Gagey just did some simple things that worked um, very well for him. I guess when I say surprised, I mean uh, in terms of how one-sided it was. No, I'm not. I'm never, never surprised. I was, um, 
I was impressed with his his improvements and his his change of approach in in his last few fights. So I was impressed, um, definitely with uh, yeah. I wouldn't even say his you know like a skill improvement, but just his his change in approach to fights. That's um, that's what impressed me the most about Gagey. Who would be a tougher fight for Gaethje, not including you for just a second? Let's let's remove you from the equation. Is is Khabib a tougher fight for Gaethje? And I realize these are radically different fight styles, but is Khabib a tougher fight or is Connor a tougher fight? Well, they're equally as dangerous and they pose they pose different threats for Gaethje. I would say they're Yeah, they're equally as dangerous. Dan. Just in different <laughs> aspects. <laughs> Are they equal? You think? What do you I don't think? know. What's your opinion? It's the, here's the thing. I, that's why I'm having a pro fighter on because you know a lot more. They're so different, it's hard to say, which I can admit, right? Because one guy is just going to be wrestling you and one guy is probably going to avoid that at not all costs, but again, not the front of his mind. I. It's like in beating Tony the way he did, you clearly realized Justin's boxing was better than we thought. But we also sort of realized that some of the holes that Tony had in his boxing that he was kind of able to cover up with other opponents, he wasn't here. And so I'm wondering, like, obviously Justin's better than we thought, but I don't know how far that extends against someone like Connor, who's got slick timing and angles and southpaw stance and the whole nine yards. I think that's what I'm wrestling with. Yeah, well, they just pose completely different threats. Um, I think Connor's distance management and, and his positioning of footwork is better on the feet but then obviously Khabib has better cage control and, and top control so they're, they're polar opposite skill sets so it'll be yeah who knows who knows how those two match up that's that's why we have to get in there and fight uh, in terms of uh, Dustin coming back from the Khabib fight I would imagine you don't put a lot of stock into it, right? I mean, the guy's super experienced. He tends to come back from losses, ready to rock. You don't imagine that he's got, I don't know, lingering doubts or something, right? Nah, that's that's not even a, that's not even a fight I, I took into account or, or even watched, um, if I'm being honest. Well, watched again and studied and analyzed and took anything away from because I feel like yeah, well, if you if you look at his career and you look at my career, we do our best work after after a loss. You know, nothing nothing tends to fuel us, and I see a lot of similarities in that aspect. So, I'm I'm looking for an extremely motivated Poirier because it, you know it wasn't his night. Things didn't go his well, his way. Um, he was that close to achieving what we all want. So I'm I'm expecting a, a hungry Dustin Poirier, not. I don't want to. I don't want to take anything from the Khabib play. Fair enough. Let me ask you about this uh, Roshkov controversy, the cornering one. You kind of weighed in on it. You didn't have the kindest words uh, for Max Roshkov. What is your chief objection? I mean, here's again. I'm not a fighter, so I'm going to have a different view, which is to say, if you're not ready to go and compete out there for whatever reason, it's probably a bad idea to go out there and compete. What's wrong with that? Nothing. He, he, you know, if, if that just, it was just an experience. It was just too much too soon for, for someone like that. Um, well, what, what exact perspective? What's the question? What's the question you're asking? Cause you said he was made of marshmallows, right? Yeah, I did. 
Yes, um, that's that's the part I'm sort of curious yeah, but about. I mean, I'm getting I'm getting you know pushback for for criticizing, and I feel like uh, that's just my perspective on it. It's not like I'm I'm criticizing a young amateur kid. I'm not criticizing uh, a guy in his even on the contender series. This is a guy in the UFC. This is a guy. Um, in my division, this is a guy I see as as competition. I feel like, uh, and he 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 went out there. There, you know, he just showed his inexperience. He 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 was, you know, he didn't he didn't exhaust himself, um, just for no reason. He exhausted himself trying to tear his opponent's leg off. He exhausted himself being overly aggressive. And you you be overly aggressive. You try to get your opponent. You're trying to hurt your opponent. Then you just quit. Um, I, I see nothing wrong with what the corner did. In hindsight, like you could have approached it a little differently. Like all the kid had to do was relax. Just relax. Take that minute to breathe. You can go back out there. Get behind your jab for a minute. Um, recover until you feel like you have one more takedown and you get that take like it's just the uh inexperience um yeah it was just purely purely inexperience as opposed to uh yeah i didn't feel like it was at the point where, where you know he he mentally broke physically he he would have been fine if he just relaxed and, and got it under control and had the mental experience um and had been in those situations previously in it, in his career it would have been benefited him a lot more um yeah, I don't see the big deal. All, all I said was marshmallow. <laughs> like, if, at the end of the day, people were getting upset because I called someone a, a marshmallow. Like, that's uh, on a scale people, of people, insults and a yeah. scale of insults that have been thrown at me for far less things. <laughs> it's funny. Like, if you can't if you can't handle being called a marshmallow, I feel like you're you're in the wrong sport. Fair enough. Uh, I'm only bringing it up because I thought it was interesting controversy. The last thing I'd ask you about it though is. Do you think MMA media makes a too big of a deal of cornering controversies? No, they, they're just, they're sharing their insight. Um, and, and that's, that's all I did. You know, I'm sharing, I'm sharing the insight of, you know, my perspective. You have to understand that I've been inside fight gyms my entire adult life. My entire adult life has been spent inside a gym's where it's a very um, like quitting and and things like that is is highly frowned upon. So I'm just sharing my insight and and my perspective into it. Fair enough. Our last question for you: uh, Has the UFC talked to anybody, like any U Kiwi fighters, about bringing shows down there? Because I mean, I don't know if it's even possible, but I saw that like. New Zealand was having, you know, 20, 50,000 people for sporting events. If there's a place on earth right now you could host a show, well, geez, it's got to be New Zealand. Have you guys heard anything about potential plans for the UFC to go down there during this time? Um, no, I haven't heard anything. It's just how fast everything's changing, how fast everything's moving. Like you could schedule a show and then there could be another outbreak in New Zealand and then things all get shut down and, and we're back to square one. So I guess... Yeah, it's just a, a huge gamble no matter no matter where you put it. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, oh, I got to tell you, Dan, you've earned this opportunity. 
Uh, it's got the fight world buzzing. We are super jazzed for this fight, and I can't wait to see it on Saturday. Of course, the main card kicks off at 8 p.m. on both ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. One more time, I thank you for your, your willingness to travel to distant lands full of infectious diseases and, uh, <laughs> and, and to sit two weeks in quarantine. You're, you're a man of the people, Dan Hooker, and thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Talking to the biggest names in pro wrestling. WWE Hall of Famer Edge. I had to start with Randy. I knew that coming back, having this cherry of a story dropped in his lap, that Randy would step up. He just needed something to be able to sink his teeth into. But then the next night after the Rumble, when I heard people screaming, I was like, oh my God. This feels like old school NWA Dusty Rhodes. Like, this is what I was hoping for. I was like, man, this is going to be so much fun. Busted Open Monday through Saturday, 9 to noon Eastern. This gentleman is a tremendous talent, and he's going to give us some of his breakdown skills. But first, he has a story to tell about one of his old fights. It is the one and only Chaz Skelly. Hi, Chaz. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Well, you got to be on, I don't know if a cloud nine is quite the right word, but you got to be pretty happy. Let's start with this news that got broken yesterday by you. So, two years ago, two years ago, you had a fight against Bobby Moffitt in i think uh denver uh if if memory serves That's and right. he had a he had applied a bravo choke and was looking to finish it and you guys were doing that three stooges bit where he's chasing the choke and you're sort of moving away from it and the referee tim mills pulled you guys apart thinking i guess what that you had gone out but you hadn't so talk us through the end of that fight for just a second before we get to the more relevant news that happened yesterday so basically uh yeah, he threw on a, let's see, he got a takedown. I swept him. Right when I swept him, he threw on a kind of a marsh choke there, like a darge from, from his back. And I did the right thing. You know, I kind of, I rolled to my back and pushed against his hips. Didn't let him, in order to not let him uh, lace my leg to get it tight, you know, I was just walking away, walking away, walking away, and walking my legs away. Well, he stopped walking towards my legs, so I stopped obviously walking away. And uh, he did realize that he wasn't going to be able to finish that choke because he kind of loosened, like literally right as he kind of relaxed, Tim Mills stepped in and, uh, and stopped the fight. And all I was and doing was just relaxing with him. You know, he, he realized he was going to gas his arms out. He wasn't going to hold it for much longer. The exact same thing happened in the very next fight when he fought Bryce Mitchell. He got Bryce Mitchell in the very same position. Bryce Mitchell defended it correctly. After he defended it, you know, uh, DC even said he defended. He's like, that's exactly how you defend that choke. You just, you walk your hips away and then you completely relax. And then eventually he'll let go. I mean, you can choke somebody unconscious there, but you'd have to have a really, really, really good squeeze or be, you know, have it just on the right spot. He didn't have it on the right spot with me. It was tight. I wasn't going to go unconscious, you know, but the ref stepped in and stopped it, unfortunately. All right, so you challenged it. I'm guessing you must have challenged it right away, right? Like soon after the fight, you submitted whatever requisite paperwork was there to get it overturned. Why did it take two years? Because, by the way, that's the whole thing. You got overturned. I mean, walk me through this. Um, well, yeah, I did initially send something. I didn't send it like the day after, you know, I, I waited a little bit. Um, and then I sent something. Well, there was a, there was a head of the commission. 
I think that the Colorado State Athletic Commission was kind of going through a change. Uh, I think that they were possibly trying to, I don't know if one guy was getting fired or, or moving on, retiring, and another guy was taking over. Um, but I think it was just, I think that my appeal just kind of got shuffled back in the mix with the whole changing of the guard there with the Colorado combative sports office. And um, luckily I followed up. I ended up following up. That's how it kind of came to light. I, I sent a message and said, you know, Hey, uh, I followed an appeal a little, a little while ago. And I was, I was just wondering if, you know, it, it didn't matter to me. I just wanted them to take, give it a look. You know what I mean? I wanted a fair shake because it, it rubbed me more wrong that uh, Tim Mills had the opportunity in the fight with the instant replay to go back and overturn it. And he still didn't overturn it when you could see me blinking in one of the instant replay, you could see my eyes open. I wasn't unconscious. You know, there was, and he had the opportunity to overturn it and he didn't. So I just followed up. And uh, luckily the commissioner, now the new commissioner said, Oh yeah, I'll give that a look for sure. He gave it a look and he overturned it. That's crazy. When did you send that note being like, Hey, just following up? Uh, man, I'd, I'd have to go back through my email and look. It wasn't that, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, realistically. It was, uh, I, I guess it was before the whole COVID-19 thing. So I guess it has been a little bit, probably the COVID-19 thing put them out for a little bit. Um, but, you know, probably six, six, seven months ago, maybe. By the way, I'm looking at your background here for the listeners who can't see. Uh, you got the Sanford Health uh, attire on and then the uh, step and repeat behind you there. This is the facility in South Florida. Where is this facility? Yeah, this is in South Florida. It's a uh, Deerfield beach. I actually just stole this um, <laughs> sweatshirt out of somebody's backpack in there because it's freezing cold. In here. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't intentional for I mean, I was going to sit in front of the backdrop, you know, it's just a good backdrop. Actually, if I turn it around, it's an even cooler backdrop on the other side. I'm going to use this for my podcast. Uh, we're starting a, I'm starting a fight pick podcast, just kind of a general podcast slash fight pick podcast for Sanford and posting on the social media to try and, you know, get some, get some social media going. But, uh, I'm going to use this as my ba- backdrop. I didn't intend on doing the whole double up, <laughs> double up thing, but it's freezing in here and I needed a sweatshirt. So I went and stole somebody's sweatshirt. Fair enough. I was like, my man's carrying the flag for the team here. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I look what it, what I, I didn't realize how goofy I look until I pulled the video up and I was like, Oh man. <laughs> it, uh, it's quite all right. Well, first of all, congratulations. You got to be thrilled. I mean, it doesn't overturn the result in the sense of, you get a win, but it certainly, uh, you know, it brings you to what? Uh, let's see, 18 and three. That's a, and one, I guess, no contest. It's a pretty dang good record. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm pretty excited about it. I think, I think what it does, it does two things for me. For one, I mean, I'm a grappler. You know, I don't like to, I've never been submitted. I've never been, you know, submitted in competition. I've never been submitted in a fight. And I didn't like that on my record, to be honest. Um, and number two, I mean, I'm, I'm in my last fight in a contract right now. So when you're renegotiating, you know, obviously it looks better to have. Well, I'm one, one and one now in this current contract. So it looks better, I guess, to have not 
lost more than you've won, obviously, when you're renegotiating. I don't know how much weight that'll carry, but it means a lot to me. Yeah, I can well imagine. All right, let's transition because you hit me up being like, let's do some picks, let's do some analysis. All right, Mr. Skelly, let's do exactly that. We got uh, we just had Dan Hooker on the show, by the way, and uh, obviously he is fighting Dustin Poirier this weekend. What a hell of a matchup this is at 155 pounds. So assess it for me. When you look at these two and what they're up against with one another, what do you see as the predominant challenges? Um, I see Dan Hooker as a long-rangey guy who really improved a lot when he bumped up to 155. I think, I think maybe the cut was taking a lot out of him at 145. He was, I think the bump up was a really, really good move for him. Uh, you know, one, one thing I see – as a challenge for Dan Hooker is that I, in his, in his video that I've watched in the past, I don't want to say he doesn't fight well, but he struggles more when people move forward on him, you know, uh, moving backwards. He's not a great fighter moving backwards. I think in my opinion, another thing that he struggles with a little bit is, is uh, the grappling aspect of, he has a great guillotine, um, he's good at uh, defending shots with that guillotine, but I think, I think that once, if Poirier does get him down, you know, get past that guillotine and get him down, I do think Poirier have a pretty good advantage on the mat. Um, I think Poirier is a, but but uh, another thing with I don't want to do all negative. Obviously, I think uh, Dan Hooker's a great fighter. He's an amazing striker. He does really well coming forward, and he's really found a spot for uh, – he's really implemented knees in his game a lot, and I think that's huge for him, being a tall fighter, bringing the knee straight up the middle. I mean, he's he finds a home for that knee, and it's it's pretty impressive. You know, not to mention he's a super tough guy, can take a crazy amount of damage, and he, and he seems to improve every fight. So, I mean, that's kind of one of those things that's an X factor when you're when you're picking fights like this. It's like – how much has this guy improved from the last time you saw him? Because when you watch film of him, it seems like he improves every single fight, you know? And I think uh, w- one of the only times you, you've seen him struggle really bad, I mean, you did see him struggle a little bit on the ground down at 45. You saw him struggle against Maximo Blanco, and Maximo Blanco just pressed forward the whole time and threw volume. Jason Knight, when he took his back, you know, fairly easily. And I think Edson Barboza, when he was just a little bit quicker, now I don't think that um, I don't think that Dustin Poirier possesses the speed necessarily as Barboza, but what I do think that Dustin Poirier possesses is uh, high volume, a very aggressive style of moving forward, throwing in volume, which which if he can get Dan Hooker on his heels, I think will put, pay huge dividends for him. And not to mention Poirier is a veteran that's been in there a million times and he has great grappling. So I guess, I guess one thing that's left to be shown is, is just how much Dan Hooker's grappling has improved. All right. So the, the, a different question, though, would be the betting side, right? Because you can pick whoever you might want, but sometimes the odds might make it a valuable pick. The, I'm looking at bestfightodds.com here. They've got Hooker at plus 185. They got Poirier at a minus 225. I got to tell you, at plus 185, that's not some huge odds. And I like Poirier to win outright. Do you like the bet there for plus 185 on Hooker, given given the number? Um, 
You know, I I think this is going to be a burner. And do do I think Hooker could win? Do I think somebody could cash that 185? Absolutely. I did pick uh, Poirier outright. Um, so in my opinion, I'm the type of person, you know, people always find value. And I do find value in certain there – a, there is a value bet that I have on this card that I think is a pretty good value bet. But when, when I pick somebody outright, you know, I generally – will either, you know, just bet that guy or I might put them in a small two-man parlay. So I am going to go Poirier, you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I, – I wouldn't – I'm not going Hooker at plus 185. I'm going to go. Poirier. All right. I want to get your pick for the, the big value pick in just a second, but if it's not this one, let's go over it very quickly. Mickey Gall and Mike Perry. Now, they got Mike Perry at minus 320. They got Mickey Gall at plus 260. I don't have an issue with that. Mike Perry, I know people like to clown him, and I'm not saying he doesn't do things that are... He's easy to criticize in certain ways. I think we can both agree. But I've interacted with Mike. You know, when he's not being aggro, he's actually a really nice guy. I do think he's a born fighter, and I definitely feel like he's the better athlete and power puncher of the two. Still, he's got his girl as his only cornerman. Uh, I just don't know what kind of training he's been up to, man. So what kind of value is there on Gall at plus 260? Uh, if I was going to go with Gall, uh, I would not bet him at plus 260. I would look for the submission, the submission prop. Ah. I don't know what that is, but if I was going to bet Gall, I would bet the submission prop. Um, that's just my personal opinion. I do think, I do think that Mike Perry is going to win. I think he's, uh, Great, you know, I mean, he's a big, strong guy. He's an athletic guy. He's he's um, powerful. He has great striking. You know, I don't know, like you said, I don't know what he's been doing as far as training. I do think he stays in the gym. I mean, I see him post stuff. He's always in the gym, so I'm sure. He's yeah, I mean, change. he's he's not he's not lazy. I just don't know what kind of training he's been getting. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe his corner man's been giving him some extra cardio rounds. Who knows. <laughs> Maybe so. All right. What is your uh, what is your big value pick on this card? So so I like two picks. So if I was going to bet a value bet dog here, I would go with Worthy. I think at plus 200, he is the type of guy that so he's been knocked out five times, four or five times in his career. But those were all when he was when he was cutting weight when he was at 45 i think he's another guy kind of like hook i mean hooker never had a problem with the chin he's always had a good chin but he's another one of those guys i think he did a lot better when he bumped up to 55 i think he maybe he was cutting a little bit too much weight he was a little bit chinny i don't think he's been knocked out since he's been at 55 he is very very quick he's got a great uh counter he's got a great counter left hand left hook one thing with with Pena that I've seen is that when he over he extends himself, he tends to overextend himself. And I think Worthy has a really good counter. Worthy also chops at the legs pretty well, which, you know, uh, who was it that when Trezano fought Pena, you know, he was chopping down at the legs pretty well early in that fight. I think that kind of paid paid some dividends for him later on, but I, I would go worthy. I think I think Pena has a pretty low success rate on his takedowns. I think for Pena to win this fight, he's probably going to have to get a takedown. I think Worthy is a better athlete. I think he has the quicker hands. I think he probably has a little bit sharper hands. 
their reach is very similar, even though Pena might be a little taller. I think he's only got an inch reach advantage with striking. So uh, I think I think Worley's the big uh, value bet here. If you're looking for value and you're looking for a fight that's going to be a burner. Now, I mean, if Pena does happen to get him to the ground early, you know, he could dominate on the ground, but I don't see it happening. I think that Pena has a hard time, struggles with, with getting takedowns. Once he gets takedowns, he's doing well. I think he has a pretty low success rate at actually getting takedowns. And I think Worthy's just a little bit more athletic and powerful. Uh, and by the way, I've noticed you have your last fight is a win, but you've not fought since September of 2019. What's the deal, guy? When are you going to get back out there? Um, well, you know, I was scheduled to fight on UFC 246 when, I, when my flight landed. Uh, Grant, I was supposed to fight Grant Dawson. He had to pull out. He oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, he had some issues with the Nevada State Athletic Commission with um, some testing issues. He had been popped earlier in his career, and I think he still had some traces of stuff. And and he was cleared by USADA. I, I think it was BS. I, I no no fault of his. I think he's clean. You know, I I would say he's clean. He just had you know picograms, whatever that bullshit. What just like the John Jones thing? You know, I, I don't know. But uh, so there were issues. They bumped it back four weeks and then I tore my um, pec tendon from my from my arm when I was training for that Jesus so I'm in, I'm in a six month recovery process I've got two more months before I'm cleared well I don't know what COVID's going to look like by then but hopefully it's better uh, by the way circling back to one of your points here I, uh, I'm on fight metrics website the takedown accuracy for Luis Pena 29% not especially oh, high yeah, when I watched this, I didn't know. I didn't know the actual percentage. But when I watched this film, I saw he does do a good job pushing people against the cage and using his leverage, using his length um, against the cage there. But I feel like he, um, yeah, I feel like he's just, he doesn't, he doesn't complete a lot of his takedowns. Well, you do when you can get back out there. I got to tell you, Chaz, we, uh, we really appreciate your insights. We don't do a lot of betting talk on this. So we'll have to get you back on. When, when is when is the podcast you're doing launching? By the way, um, I actually I'm going to get on with Ong Linsong, the one FC champ champ here, one of my good yeah. friends and teammates. We're gonna we're gonna get on and just do some fight breakdowns and and picks next week next week for the card. And uh, after that, we'll start we'll start kind of rolling into more of an actual podcast with things like nutrition and and health and and uh, pre post workout recovery stuff, you know, get on some interesting guests hopefully and, and make it more of like a seg different segments in the show. So that we'll start up next week, talk about some fighting. And then after that, we'll roll into some more things. Well, we appreciate your insight. We wish you a speedy recovery and uh, you heard some picks there. So if you do well with these picks, we're going to give you lots of compliments, Chad, Chad, excuse me. And if you do poorly, we're going to roast you on the air. Okay. Sounds good. Hey, what two more picks that I really like on this card. I would go uh I do like the Jordan Griffin fight to hit the over, over two and a half. I think that fight's gonna go to decision. I don't see that getting finished. I think the odds on that are minus, you know, like 145 or something like that. It's not a bad pick. And I like uh I like Jin Yu Fry. I, I think Jin Yu Fry is gonna gonna win this fight. It's a tough fight for her. But I do think that she'll stop those takedowns. I think she's a more experienced fighter, and I, I think she's going to get it done. She's a dog.
There you have it. All right, Chaz, best of luck to you with the podcast, of course. Looking forward to seeing you get back out there. Congratulations on uh, getting that overturned, and I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.